0: Hey everyone and welcome back to the Thank Your Pain podcast where we help you turn painful moments of your life into moments of power by recognizing the lessons and the blessings that can come from them. So today I'm really blessed to have Patrick Williams with me on the podcast. He is quote unquote a free agent if you look at his LinkedIn profile, the owner of his own social media, freelance digital marketing company, and a father the reason why I invited Patrick on here was because he had opened up about being a recovering alcoholic. And I really wanted to ask, you know, kind of how that started, how it played out and what life is like now and how it's changed.
1: Yeah, so um, I am an alcoholic. Um, I have been sober for, um, let's see. my sobriety date is, uh, November, wait, yes, November 7th of 2019. So a little over a year. Um, what is that? 16, 17 months now. I hit 500 days, um, Congratulations. recently. Yeah. For, for an alcoholic like me, That's awesome. um, it was a gra- yeah, it was a great, it was it's a miracle. I couldn't go one day. Um, I couldn't go an hour, honestly, without, without needing to have a drink. Um, you know, I'm not sure where you want me to start, or if you want me to just dive into to, to my drinking career and the debauchery, or or, uh, or or where where you want me to go from here.
0: You know, wherever you feel comfortable, I think just to give a background for people who haven't heard about you or your um, other podcasts before, you know, did it start when you were younger? What was any event triggered it or?
1: It did. Yeah. I'll start when I was younger. So I was raised a Mormon. Uh, I was raised in Salt Lake City, Utah. It's predominantly Mormon state. If you're not familiar with it, you could go ahead and Google it, and hear about all the jazz, but they have a pretty structured a moral uh, code, which was no drinking, no sex, no smoking, um, no swearing. It's very rigid, religious, Christian, you know, Mormon Jesus type of ideal. So I was raised in that religion. I was taught that drinking was bad, coffee was bad, um, smoking was bad. Um, But I was always a very uh, gregarious, uh, uh, outside the box type of thinker, even as a child. I didn't like to be told I was supposed to do this a certain way. And I had a lot of questions growing up. Um, I experimented with drugs uh, and alcohol, um, you know, in high school, 15, 16, 17 years old. I remember the first time that I had a, a beer, I had a Budweiser on a, on a cruise. Um, and I remember when it like first hit my lips, I was like, whoa, like this is, uh, this is something that, that I like. Uh, the taste was not to be too desirable. Uh, but I liked the, the feeling of it hitting my, hitting my system, like, just like this, like, rush of, of, uh, you know, when you have that first shot of vodka or whiskey, when it hits you, there's, like, something for an alcoholic that that, that takes over, that you don't really have control over, so right. uh, I knew from a really young age that, that I liked this, that, that it, that it made me feel something that maybe normal drinkers didn't have, and so I didn't, I didn't drink much when I was younger. Um, I served a a Mormon mission. Uh, You're taught as a Mormon to go on a two-year service mission, ages 19 to 21. So I went to Cambodia uh, for two years and basically walked in dirt and mud and rain and the hottest temperatures you could think of and basically tried to teach people about, jesus and mormonism and if they wanted to we baptized them etc but i was always just kind of doing those things because that's what i was told to do and uh you know when you're young and impressionable uh you just kind of do those things so um so i did that i got married when i was about 25 um and then i got divorced when i was about 30 29 or 30 my ex-wife and i have a little boy he's 11 going on 34, um, and he's, <laughs> he's like a spitting image of me, um, and uh, I started drinking, um, so I left that religion shortly after my, I got divorced, and I started drinking basically at the church. I started like, doing all these things that I wasn't told I was going to do. I, gosh, I, I just went on this, like, this run of debauchery and sex, drugs, and rock and roll, um, for, you know, probably a good decade. Um, you know, seven, eight years of, of just daily drinking. Um, there wasn't a lot of drug use. Um, I have a really high natural energy anyway. So any of those like really upper drugs that like, took me to like another stratosphere and I didn't like that feeling. I didn't like being out of control. I liked sort of the numbingness of, of alcohol. Um, and it just made me feel uh, a little bit of relief, you know, and it was fun for a little while. Um, you know, I would go out to, to parties and, and I would be kind of like that funny guy. You know, I was very, very personable. I've always had a lot of friends. I've always w- was able to talk to girls, but alcohol made, it, made me feel like even that more confident. Um, and I felt like I could do anything really. Um, until I couldn't right that's the that's the funny thing with alcohol like it gives you this sense of 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 freedom but you're just drunk you don't really have any idea what you're saying what you're doing how you're acting um, and it it took me to two extremes I was either really funny or very emotional um, and the emotional toll that it took on my life uh, was becoming very apparent I so I met a girl right after my divorce and she was an alcoholic and I started drinking with her. Like I tried to keep up. Is that what kind of
0: spurred, is that what kind of spurred
1: the alcoholism or were you kind of like addicted before then? I think I was, I think I knew I had an addictive gene. Uh, I I just knew my little brother was a drug addict um, and I saw what he was going through. Um, Were either of your parents involved in uh, this? No. No, no, my parents are, are, were Mormon. They didn't drink, they didn't smoke, they didn't even drink coffee. Um, so, you know, I had a history of some aunts and uncles and things are alcoholics and, and struggle with mental illness, but, um, you know, my family, my extended family, they were all, they're all Mormon. so so uh, this is quite unusual. Um, but, you know, at th- the end of the day, you know, we all have our individual things that, that, that we struggle with right and for me you know this thing was alcohol um and I got a DUI like right out of the gate like like as soon as I started drinking uh, heavily with this woman that I met and we got into like this very toxic relationship that was just sex and booze and and I didn't know about sex I didn't know that like people could have sex like this like I was like opening my eyes to like all this stuff um, and I just wanted to do it like I just it was so wrong but it felt so good to me. To like because it was like years
0: stuff. of not being able to do something yeah, or was, anything you know, that was like common you know outside of Mormonism like drinking coffee or tea even.
1: Yeah drinking coffee or tea I mean you didn't I mean when you were a kid growing up you felt bad even talking about masturbation right like you didn't you, you didn't okay. learn about these things like so it was a it was a very structured religion there was you know you didn't talk about sex you didn't talk about alcohol you didn't talk about drugs um these things made you feel bad and judged and and so you stayed you wanted to stay away from them when you know as a naturally as a human like those are really natural emotions and feelings to have especially you know growing up as a kid and as a young boy like having these sexual urges and not be able to act on them is just going to cause more pain in my opinion but um besides that so I got a DUI right out of the gate one night, driving home from a night of drinking with this girl and her family, um, and uh, it was bad luck. Uh, but you think it would have been a wake up call for me to like, hey, maybe you should, you know, not do this, and maybe you should slow down. But no, it like kind of fueled my fire, and I had to get interlock in my car, um, and I'd find every way, you know, I. I got my license suspended for, I don't even remember how long, maybe a year. That didn't stop me. Like, I was still I was still driving. I was still figuring out how much I could drink and drink the night before to wake up and not be able to set my interlock off to take my son to school uh, in the morning. And it was embarrassing. Um, you know, I don't think I went on a date for, like, two years because I was, like, so embarrassed to, like, have this interlock in my car. Um, like try to explain to women or people in general, like you know, what it was for. Um, you know, and that went on, and then I got another DUI, uh, because I didn't stop, like, I just wanted to, and I was driving another car, um, and got pulled over, and then I got an additional suspension on my license for, I believe, three years. Um, and uh, you know, these were all things like, these are all just cataclysmic events based upon, you know, my decision making and my drinking, thinking that I could control that, thinking that I could, you know, just casually drink like a normal person when my brain chemistry just didn't allow that to happen. Right. Um, and so
0: when was the wake up call then? Like what was, if the first DUI didn't do it and the second DUI didn't do it, what what said um, so, I have a
1: problem? Uh, there's a, there's a thing in, in addiction circles and in AA that they say, like, you have to hit your rock bottom. Um, I don't believe that. I don't believe that there's a bottom. I think it's a bottomless pit, um, that you'll just continue to dig and dig and dig until you die. Um, and that was where I was headed. Right. So, um, I remember, uh, I had, I had tried to stay sober. I was, I was dating a girl and. We went to San Diego for a weekend, um, and uh, when we came home, um, she broke up with me. And I was like flabbergasted. I was like, "Well, why are you breaking up with me? Like, we have such an awesome relationship." She's like, "Dude, you are a mess. You are an alcoholic. You hide your drinking from me. Like, you think that you're hiding your drinking from me. Like, you're drunk in the morning. You." You go to bed every night. um, You wake up hungover. Like it's 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 embarrassing. And she's like, "Do you do you even remember how much how much money we spent at the hotel bar? Like when we checked out, do you know how much money you spent, or how much money I paid?" Because she paid for the hotel um, that that weekend. She's like, "You spent almost six hundred and seventy-five dollars in booze, and this was on top of all the alcohol that I had brought with me." And then all the alcohol, like trips for me were just a booze fest. Like it was like, uh, uh, in the airport before I took off, I'd have to have several beers on the plane. I get several drinks. When we landed in the airport bar, wherever our destination was, I would get a drink. And then obviously once we got to the hotel or the beach, or our destination, like, it was like, where's the liquor store. We got it. We got to stock up. Um, so like going on a trip, uh was just basically an excuse for me to 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 just get blasted um so i couldn't hold a relationship together um and she broke up with me and I, I spent you know a good year or two after that relationship just in and out of sobriety i didn't didn't go to rehab i should have um and then uh i'd go several months without drinking just trying to white knuckle it on my own uh and then 2019, I went to a Super Bowl party, um, and uh, I, hadn't, I had been several months sober, and I was like, oh, my friends invited me, and I was like, oh, this will be fine, and I went to that party, and I had a few drinks, and I ended up – so I'm the type of drinker that if I go somewhere, like I have to have an escape plan because I know that if I stay there, I won't be able to make it home. Um, I can't even tell you the thousands of dollars that I've spent on Ubers or Lyfts over the past five or six years. I think I I think I tallied it up one year and it was like gosh, close to like five or six thousand dollars just in like Lyft and Uber fees, not on top of alcohol, all the money I was spending on alcohol. Like it's just such an expensive habit and addiction to have. Um, so I went to that Super Bowl partying and uh, uh I came home. Uh, near the end of my drinking, I was binging, so I would like go four or five days straight of just drinking alcohol. Um, it was just like straight whiskey or like really, really hoppy beer. Um, and I took myself to the hospital several times just based on sheer dehydration. I was developing a uh, a really bad like um, throat and like gastric uh, problem uh, from how the alcohol I was drinking. I couldn't clear um like food uh like really really rich like bread or really you know red meat or things of that nature like I couldn't even swallow um uh, because of the, all the alcohol that I was consuming and it was like ruining my like my esophagus and because wow. I was throwing up so much too I developed because oh, you were
0: throwing up so much yeah because
1: I would I would drink so much I like get so sick and then I would then I would binge I would binge drink and then I would try to binge force uh, to eat um and then i would feel so bloated because i would binge the alcohol and then i would binge like i'd order an entire pizza and like eat the entire pizza in like 10 minutes and then i'd feel so sick that i have to go and like purge myself so not only was i was I an alcoholic but i was also developing an eating disorder and yeah. um i was uh basically um bulimic uh so i'd go i'd go out i'd go to my parents house and go to dinner or whatever and i would just like eat so much. And then I'd have to go and drink alcohol to kind of like soothe that that pain over. And then I'd go and I would throw up. Um, And I was developing this, this horrible. uh, So it was not only ruining my, you know, my mental health, but it it was just killing me um, from a, you know, from a physical standpoint.
0: Okay. And if I could just cut in here a little bit, because you said a lot of, (laughs) you said a lot of uh, (laughs) important things there is that you know, this story is like, not only were you battling the struggle with alcohol, but also, you know, battling the struggle with like bulimia at the same time. And do you know, like, was one feeding the other or because you said you would actually eat a bunch of food and then you would have to go drink to numb that pain. So was there some like underlying emotions that you had there, like maybe about yourself or anything like that, that you felt like you needed uh, to drink? I
1: think as, yeah, well, you know, my drinking stemmed from from a lot of just, uh, unworthiness, right. A lot of regret, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, my marriage, br- you know, breaking apart, me not living up to the expectations that we have for myself. But this poor body image that, that I think as men, um, I don't think we talk about, like, we, you know, I, I felt a lot of pressure to being a single guy and, you know, having that, you know, nice physique and being able to work out and, You know, wanting those washboard abs that you see, you know, on TV and Abercrombie models, like that's just not—that is just not possible. Like, you know, my body chemistry wouldn't allow that to happen. But for some reason in my head, you know, I was getting—you know—I was getting that dad bod. I'm getting older. You know, if I didn't work out, you know, almost every single day, I—I could feel it. Like, I could feel in my my in my my mental awareness and my in my body. And so, I think a lot of it was. Was that? Um, I didn't. I never really admitted that I was was developing an eating disorder, a bulimia disorder. Um, I just thought it stemmed from from my alcoholism and me drinking too much and binging. But um, you know, since I've been sober and since I've been able to like start to feel like true, real emotions and, and be able to process everything in a in a sober and, and clean, energetic way. Um, and working with my therapist and talking about these issues come to realize that, yeah, I was bulimic. I had an eating disorder and I was an alcoholic and I suffered from crippling depression and anxiety. So, um, you know, I drank because, you know, I wanted to just detach. I wanted to, you know, I smoked weed every night because I I couldn't sleep because my, I couldn't shut the demons off in my brain. Um, you know, all the regret and the, the, the fear and the anxiety of, of, you know, not living up to the expectations of, you know, professionally in my career or, you know, getting starting too late with, um, you know, whatever marriage or, you know, not being able to be a, you know, a sober parent. Um, It was one thing that I was good at while I was an alcoholic. I I was able to, you know, show up for my son. I I try not to drink when I was around him. Uh, My ex-wife was incredibly supportive and she knew that I had a problem and, and, you know, was always able to take him when she knew I was on one of my weekend binges. Um, But yeah, there was, there's, there was a lot, there was a lot to unpack. Um, And, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't pick these issues. I I didn't, I didn't wake up and then suddenly, you know, say, snap out of it. You know what I mean? Like you just can't do that with mental illness. I think, you know, you can't just tell somebody like, Well, why can't you just not drink? Like why can't you you just just, not feel better? Yeah. Why can't you just just
0: just go on a diet and then Yeah. (laughs) Just go on a diet. Just exercise. Just feel better.
1: Unfortunately for your listeners out there, and I know this is a mindset podcast, our brain chemistry and my addiction does not allow me to to feel those emotions in a way that that I can just snap my fingers and wake up and say oh guess what today I'm just gonna feel happy I have those days don't get me wrong like I'll wake up like today was a good day you know I woke up I went on a run Uh, I I was I'm reading a really fantastic book about about sobriety um, called we are the luckiest and I got 50 pages into that and heard my story you know and and being able to remind myself that like like, I'm in control of this. Like, I, I have some control now. Um, I went another day without drinking. I went another day without having suicidal thoughts. Because um, that was the norm for me. Um, right. And, you know, I guess we were talking about a bottom to kind of get you where, you know, to kind of wrap up the whole back end of my story. Um, after that tumultuous relationship uh, with that uh, woman ended, I, she ended it, like, just out of the blue. Um and I hadn't processed. I, I wasn't very good at relationships. My divorce had ended. Um I just I just wasn't mature enough to be able to handle rejection. Um and uh so I woke up in the hospital after she broke up with me. I went on like some crazy ex-boyfriend, like two-week bender, like calling her, texting her, got a call from the cops, like like I was one of those guys that you probably see on the news. Um, like stalking, like I, I turned into this this crazy person. I didn't even know who it was. It may have been a manic episode where I, you know, I may have some form of, of you know mental disorder, bipolar, uh, detachment issues there. But it was scary, and uh, I ended up in the hospital. Um, woke up, uh, took I don't even know how many pills I took mixed with alcohol, and my mom found me on. The floor of my upstairs bedroom in my house, um, and uh, I was rushed to the hospital. My stomach was pumped, and I woke up. Basically, I was handcuffed to a hospital bed. Um, I don't remember what happened. I woke up. Uh, I, I was given my phone. I spent 72 hours in in a basically a, a psych ward. Um, was on suicidal watch. Um, that was scary. That was, that was a moment of like, um, okay, like what, what's going on here? I have some real issues that I need help with um, uh, stemming from alcoholism, stemming from rejection of women, stemming from, you know, not being able to be enough for, you know, a relationship. And, and I was the problem. Like up to that point, it was everybody else's issue, right? And my, her- my marriage ended because she cheated on me. My marriage ended because uh, you know she was lying, or like it wasn't. There was no there was no accountability on my part. And as alcoholics and addicts, we love to blame other people for our problems. We love to say like this is. We do not like to take accountability. Um, and the one thing that when when you get sober and when you decide to take you know control of your addiction. Um, there's a lot of uh, shame and guilt and resentment you need to get over. Um, and the steps in AA teach you, you know, they're, they're set up for a reason on how to, like, really come to grips with what your, what your vices are, what your, your character defects are. And it's a, it's a hard process to really dig down internally into your mind in those deep, deep, dark places and say, okay, I have to take control of this fucking shit or else I'm going to die. I'm gonna end up back in this hospital. I'm gonna end up in jail, in prison for driving drunk again or killing somebody or killing myself. Um, however, that happens, like that's, there's, there's no, there's two places for an alcoholic and addict to go. That's it, jail or you're dead. Um, it's a sad reality. It's maybe it's too blunt, but that's what will happen if you do not take control of your life. And that's what was happening to me. Um, I was going to either one kill myself or I was going to end up in jail for a third or fourth DUI, killing myself or driving junk or, or whatever. I didn't have the balls or the courage to actually kill myself. Um, uh, so if I was going to do it, it was going to be drinking myself to death and my, my liver was going to, you know, finally give out or, you know, it was going to kill my esophagus or whatever. So, um, it's a, it's a sobering place to be. And after that Super Bowl party, I went home and I binged from a Sunday till a, a Thursday. Um, and I woke up that day and I was trying to detox in my shower, um, just basically rolled up in like a ball in my shower tub, um, just crying and and just just i just was asking for some sort of relief um i was asking for some sort of help i didn't know what that looked like Uh, my idea of god is more of like a universal power sort of thing um and so that morning i felt impressed to to go to my first aa meeting um I looked it up online. I've talked to a couple of friends previously about it and they stayed sober. And I was always so intrigued by how people were staying sober. How are you doing this? Like, this seems like a, like, like, you're lying. Like, you can't be really saying you can't be drinking. Like, there's no way, like, you haven't drank for two years. Like, it just blew my mind that, that people could stay sober because I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And that was that was November seventh, and then I walked into my first AA meeting and introduced myself and said, Hi, I'm Patrick and I'm an alcoholic. And that was the first time that I ever said that. And that was that was the first time that I ever admitted to myself or to uh, a higher being or whatever your, your concept of God is, that, that I that I was my life had become unmanageable and I needed help. Um, it was the first time you
0: took responsibility for
1: what Yeah, was going and it's on. a yeah, you it's took a, a complete powerful-
0: responsibility. S-
1: yeah, it's a powerful statement, and um, I've been sober ever since uh, wow. that day. And um, you know, I credit that to, you know, a lot of a lot of hard work on my part, a lot of um, a lot of uh, working the steps in AA, and I'm still not done with them. Um, uh, I'm not very anonymous about my story. Um, there's a lot of traditions in AA that I don't jive with, like it's very old, rigid regimented program and um I like to respect the traditions and but for me uh being able to talk about my story and being able to share you know what happened is is important um like I was such a secret private person I didn't I didn't tell people how I was feeling I didn't I didn't you know uh, express it was you know I lied about everything a lot about my drinking a lot about my drug use a lot about my my, my, my body image issues and my bulimia. Um, and why do you the think only way, was? Why do you think you lied? Do
0: what? To, why do you think you lied to? It to was everyone?
1: easier. It was okay. easier that way. Uh, it was, it was, uh, it started to become like a part of who I was. Like I started to believe okay. my own lies, you know, like I was just so ashamed of who I was becoming. So it was easier for me to make up a story about that. Um, and uh as an addict and alcoholic like you're you're a master manipulator um and you think that your story you're, you start to believe your own lies um and it's a very uh slippery slope um and uh it can it can rot your your soul out i was i was all i was void of all spirituality and any moral compass at that point like it was just whatever I could do and just say to fuel my my alcohols and my addiction that's all I cared about Um,
0: because what it becomes is like this massive just form of escape like not just the drinking it's like the whole story you tell yourself and that you start to believe is just a way to escape from all of those things that you were feeling underneath the shame the unworthiness the you know the body image issues and like so just to kind of explain a little bit of the mindset behind a lot of the stuff that you were talking about is like you said, there is no, I just wake up today and be happy. It doesn't happen for anyone like that. The brain is like a computer. It runs off of scripts and the scripts are the things you learn as a child, the things you've been observing. um, And they're all imprinted in your subconscious because the brain just wants to be as lazy as it can and goes to the most comfortable, easiest route. So when Patrick is talking about how he, can't just wake up and choose something, it's because your brain has become so efficient at choosing the lie, at escaping the pain, um, then it's it's not going to voluntarily choose. No one is going to voluntarily choose diving into the pain, into the responsibility, because it hurts. It hurts to acknowledge I'm depressed or I feel unworthy, because then, like you said, you have to unpack it but now yeah. that you have started doing all those things and you have been sober ever since taking that first step of changing those programs, um, how is life now? How, how do you, how would you rate how you like you feel about your life now?
1: Yeah. You know, um, it's, it's an interesting contrast, right? Like there's, there's a surprising magic, uh, of living a sober life. Like, uh, I've used my my my, my alcoholism and my addiction to to really focus my life in a way that I think if I didn't have this this need or this thing, um, you know maybe your thing is less severe and more socially acceptable than like drug use or alcoholism. Um, I don't know what your thing is, but alcohol was mine, and uh, you know if I was going to survive this, uh, if I was going to bury these the the truth Um, you know if I wasn't going to take a hold of my of my of my life it was going to eventually bury me Um, and I was going to die before I turned 40 years old so it was it was a life or death situation for me Um, some people might view that really morbidly um, but for an alcoholic like me uh, and as mentally ill as I was and still am, it's a daily struggle for me to not only not drink, but it gets easier. Um, uh, I was reading this book this morning um, uh, called We Are the Luckiest by Laura McCown, and she talks about um, the certain consequences. Um, of like, she goes through this wordplay in her head, right? You do these mental gymnastics every single day when you wake up. And mine began a lot like this. It was like, I don't drink anymore. I can't drink anymore. What if I still like, like I'll get invited to a party. And these are the things that I go through in my head. If I know there's gonna be alcohol there, I'll say like, what if I, I can still go, it'll be fun. No, it'll be awful. I'll decide tomorrow. Who in the group knows I'm not drinking? Will they be there? What if I drink and then they just start sobriety over and over again after? What's the worst that will happen if I drink? I won't go. I'll, I will go and not drink. I'll decide tomorrow. I will go. I'll drink a little more Then leave. Fuck it. I'm just not going. No, I can't go. I'll decide tomorrow. I'll ask someone sober to go with me. So I have a sober buddy like people keep suggesting. Fuck that. That would be awful. What will they think? What will I miss? What will I do if I don't go? Will I end up sleeping with XYZ person if I do? I'll decide tomorrow. Oh, my God. Like that's like that's the mental gymnastics that as a, as an alcoholic, <laughs> as a mentally ill person that you go through day by day. And if you're not able to really find a sense of direction and find a peace and 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 you know do, uh, I try to meditate fifteen to twenty minutes a day. it's uh it's it's really hard for me to uh, quiet my mind for at least a minute. two minutes of quiet time if I get that like I can feel like I'm centered I'm here I'm present I'm now um that really really helps me to kind of like accept that like you know the universe is taking care of me That like I'm on top of this that that I can I can be happy I can have a really successful happy life post uh you know um alcoholism and and find that that magic in, in my sober life um and I'm finding that now. I'm finding it in, you know, in relationships that I'm attracting. I'm finding it in clients that I'm, that I'm meeting. I'm finding it attracting people like you that want to hear my story. Um, you know, there's, there's a really positive energy and a flow of abundance that, that comes when, you, when you're able to, to really um, find, find a way to overcome and find joy in the journey, I guess you could say. Um, it's not all roses, it's not all rainbows and unicorns for me, like, I have those days of crippling depression, where I want to go to a liquor store that's up the street from my house and drink, Um, but I know the consequences of that, I've played that story and that tape out so many fucking times, and it's awful, Um, and uh, I know, you know, my brain knows what that looks like, my body knows what that feels like, and I I can't do that, I can't do that ever again, I told myself I would, I would never drink again, like ever. And that's kind of an unrealistic goal as an alcoholic. So in AA, they talk about one day at a time, one hour at a time, one minute at a time, one second at a time. And then as soon as you start to put together those days and those hours and those hours become weeks and weeks and months and years, it starts to get a little easier and easier. Um, but once you're, you know, I'm an alcoholic for life, right? So I've got to always, always be on my game. And I always have to be in a mental mindset that I don't have to do that mental gymnastics every single time I get invited to a party, I know there's going to be booze there. Um, and, uh, it's getting easier. It's getting a lot easier, but it's definitely, it's definitely a lot more enjoyable, uh, you know, beautiful way to live life sober than, than, than drunk all the time.
0: Okay. Yeah, I can only imagine. And, um, just because now I'm getting a little selfish because I shared with you, for everyone who's listening, I shared uh, before we started this podcast about my own family experiences with alcoholism and having, you know, a few alcoholics in my own family. But growing up in the Midwest, uh, very common for a lot of people to drink and to be alcoholics and for that just to be the normal. Um, yeah. And so one of the things that I wanted to ask you, Patrick, is, you know, A, A, if now looking back, I guess, because maybe during the time people did try to reach you, um, if there's anything someone could say or could have said to you during that time to reach out knowing you were an alcoholic, to say something, you know, is there anything that they could have said, you know, for people who know someone who's an alcoholic, is there anything you can say Yeah, this is a,
1: this is a hard thing to answer um, because as, as, uh, you know, Admitting that you're powerless over drugs or alcohol is a is your decision. Um nobody can save you from yourself. You can have all the support in the world, you can have all the resources in the world, you can have all the love and support from your family and friends, and they could tell you upside down, backwards, forwards a million times that, dude, you need to get help. And that stuff helps. Like it's really nice to know that the people are supportive and you know, the main thing that I would say is just keep loving them anyways. Um, you know, like just know that, that, that they don't feel good about themselves and they don't, they didn't choose this path. Um, you don't choose mental illness. I think that addiction and mental illness is a disease like cancer. Um, you wouldn't go up to a person with cancer and say, hey, dude, just get rid of your cancer. You know, like, like just snap out of it. like. Um, it needs to be understood that that this is a this is a disease needs needs to be treated as such. Uh, you would go to the doctor and get chemotherapy on a weekly, you know, daily, monthly basis before your 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 uh, cancer is benign and you're, you're cancer free. Um, so just like mental illness or addiction, like it's a daily grind to 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 find a spiritual relief. Um, and that's the only thing that I think most alcoholics will say to you, like, you've got to find something to fill that void. And whether that's, you know, AA, whether that's going to out, outpatient treatment programs in a rehab facility, whether that's reaching out to family and friends. Um, but unfortunately, it comes down to the, you know, the person finally taking control of their own life. And admitting that they have a problem and that they need help, um, and not abandoning that person. I, I know that there's extreme circumstances where an addict, an alcoholic, you can start to enable that person. Um, and I can't speak to what that looks like. I'm a father. I don't. I might go to the ends of the world to you know show my love for my son if he comes down with an addiction or whatever. So I don't know. I know my parents. You know they they didn't ever give up on me. Uh, they were very supportive. Um, you know they they were there when I was in my lowest moments. They were there when I've been in my best moments in my sobriety. So um, that's what I would say to anybody that that has a family member, or a son, or a daughter, or a cousin, or an uncle, or anybody a father, uh, a mother that's struggling with alcoholism or addiction. Like, know deep down inside, they don't want they they, they don't want to let you down, um, and to just love you know unconditionally sometimes that's very hard to do sometimes they've burned so many bridges sometimes they've stolen so much money from you sometimes they they've burned that bridge so many times that it's hard to to really understand what they're going through but um you know trying to show up for them any way that you can is is the only thing and you know it it's nice to know that that you know you haven't been abandoned by the people that you care about but sometimes that needs to happen sometimes there's got to be consequences to your actions and that's the the bottom that you talk about right i think that's Um, like a good
0: reminder for people to even if you do have like an alcoholic family member or whatever if you've tried your hardest and saved space for that person to heal to a not become an enabler like you said um who kind of tries to be the the wall that they lean against or supplies the alcohol because you don't want to step on any toes right. or whatever. And so letting them, you know, maybe kind of fall a little bit saying like, Hey, I love you, but I've got to love you from over here because there's, that can intervene. Al-
1: yeah. There's Al-Anon groups for family members that have a uh, family member that struggles with addiction. They're fantastic. If you don't know what Al-Anon is, i check it out. It's a sister program to AA Ah, uh, for family members that have family members that struggle with alcoholism and addiction, mainly. Um, so, you know, there's a dynamic in in addiction and families that that needs to be talked about. And yeah. there shouldn't be a stigma around uh, going to a therapist or seeking counseling. Like I think everybody should go. To everybody therapy. should
0: have a therapist. we're
1: We're all fucking crazy in our own way. Um, well, that's not, you know, you've got to accept that that like we need to talk about the things that we struggle with. Um, And if we don't, they're going to eat us up inside and we're going to uh, try to numb out. And however you do that with with food, with drugs, with alcohol, with, consuming tv with shopping too much with cutting people can
0: do that with uh self-help yeah. even like so exercise self-help these are all forms if you do anything too much is also a form of escape yeah it's a
1: form of addiction like and i'm addicted to i'm addicted to my phone i spend way too much time on my phone and social media and i need to check out sometimes i need to set i need to set boundaries around that stuff so just because i'm over one addiction doesn't mean that like right you know, because the brain also
0: replaces Like you said, you know, like if you have a habit, you can't just simply leave a hole empty in the brain. You need to create a new pathway to something. And, um, you know, what you were saying before about how
1: it's, oh, go ahead. No, but what I want to say is like, this is not all bad. Like this, this there, and, and part of my story is that there's so much hope and happiness for you out there. Um, but it's going to take a lot of hard work. It's going to take you digging down deep into like the inner demons of your soul and letting go of that resentment and letting go of all the horrible things that you've done, of all the relationships that you've burned to the ground, and really making amends for that and and living those amends in a way that you can feel, you can feel uh, some relief about your life. Um, and that's what sobriety does. That's what living a life of recovery and integrity um and uh you know living a spiritual path will do for you i don't know how that looks for you you know i don't know whether that's you join a church or or whatever go on a a a year-long journey and you know eat pray love like julia roberts but um, julia roberts you, you, you you gotta you got to find a passion. You've got to, you've got to find, a, you know, some, some form of, of something greater than you outside of yourself. Uh, because if you don't, it, it, it's, it's, it's going to be tough to, to overcome just the daily human nature of life, right? Like it's just, and you
0: have to be willing to admit, like you said, the very first step is just Becoming aware and admitting to yourself, and that's yeah. you know the mm-hmm. first thing I teach to people with mindset coaching. And what you said before about you know uh, mental illness or alcoholism or addiction is a disease, but diseases manifest from something else. Disease is the symptom. It's not the cause. It's not the it's not the reason, right? The reason you developed alcoholism and the bulimia is because of the inner feelings of unworthiness and shame and. Not being able to talk about them, not being able to release those from your body, and what happens when we live in dis-ease? We develop yeah. disease, and so and now I, you're purging. And I
1: love, yeah, and I love what you're doing. I, I love that you're talking about this. I love that there's there's people in a professional, especially LinkedIn community. I've been very open about my story, and I can't tell you the hundreds of messages and and comments, the individual people that reach out to me and they're thanking me for, for just being vulnerable, just, just for being honest and telling my story and, and how they can relate with all these things and how they're an alcoholic and how they felt shame even talking about it in the workplace. And, you know, I've had people reach out to me and say, Hey, is this affecting you, you know, looking for work or a job? And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't care if it is, or if it isn't at this point, Like this is me. Like, this is, this is, this is Patrick. This is, you know, I'm an alcoholic and I'm open about it. And you can take it or leave it. You can run with it or you can't. Um, but this is my life, and I'm choosing to be open about it. Um, and it's made me a better person. It's made me more aware. It's made me more kind. It's made me more um, unconditional. Um, it's made me a better father. It's made me a better son. It's made me a better friend. Um, I'm still working on that whole relationship with women thing. It's <laughs> That's always been a... <laughs> That's always been a struggle for me but i'm I'm getting to the point now where I feel like if I had a, you know a, a romantic relationship in my life that I could show up for that person that I could I could be a version of myself that that that, that they could trust that they could you know grow and be a co-creator with because at the end of the day that's you know that's what we want in our relationships and um, you know I'm excited about about this journey it's 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 something that 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 I used to not be able to say like you know I, I couldn't tell you that I was excited about waking up tomorrow um, but I am now and that's that's pretty fucking cool it's beautiful yeah
0: Wow Patrick I feel like I could talk to you all day about uh, your story and <laughs> I just could about talk all day. <laughs> about this in general um, but I don't want to take up too much of your time or you know the listeners time because I think that Everything you said was really beautiful. So, um, just one last thing: if you would have, you know, one thing to say to um, anyone who is struggling to reach out, or particularly men in general, if you had any advice, um, could you share it with the crowd?
1: Yeah, um, you know, I, there's no there's no shame in asking for help. I, I, you know, you want to be a tough guy. You want to think that you can just willpower your way into overcoming whatever you're struggling with. Um, I did that for almost a decade and it almost ended up killing me. Um, you know, if you, if you're struggling with, with something with mental illness, with alcoholism, with drug addiction, with, you know, eating disorder, whatever it may be, um. There is hope for you. There is relief for you. You can reach out to me. Um, you could, My. I would suggest if you have a problem with alcoholism, try to find your local AA community and meetings um, and reach out to those people. Um, they're there for you. They're, they will welcome you with open arms. There's no judgment there. Um, and uh, we want to just help you overcome and find some relief. Um, there's not a lot of people that really can take an honest look at, at their life, at their problems and, and want to make a change. Um, it takes a lot of, uh, it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of, um, humility, but you can do it. Um, uh, I'm, I'm a shining example. You know, I was on my, I was in a hospital bed, um, you know, 10 years ago, not, not having any will to live. Um, and I try to drink myself, you know, a year ago, I was basically dying in my shower after, you know, a binge. Um, so if you contrasted those two versions of myself uh, up until now, uh, it, it would, it's an absolute miracle um, that, that, that I was able to do what I did. And if I can do it, trust me, if I can do it, um, you, you know, you can too. So if anybody out there is listening to this and needs, needs some advice or needs anything, feel free to reach out. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm on every single social media platform. Uh, least can get you in touch with me. Um, there's tons of resources out there. Find a therapist um, and just know that it's going to be okay at the end of the day. Tell a new story. Start telling a new story.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Patrick. I really appreciate your time here. For anyone who's listening, like Patrick said, he's open to talk about things. I'm obviously open, and my coaching practice is open. Um, noting that this podcast or um, our advice is not a substitute for medical advice. So if no. you're really struggling, please, you know, visit your local hospital or AA. Like mm. he said, I will link um, all um, links below both to Patrick's profile, but also to hotlines that may be useful. So um, thank you once again, everybody. And thank you again, Patrick. And we'll see you next time.
1: Thanks.